Good morning. Just a reminder, we have our prayer bowls and our trumpet bowl up here for prayers that you want us to be praying for you or answered prayers. Just come up, you can come up after service whenever, fill them out. Please put them in there. We're praying for those. Also, uh, after second service today is our CCS 101. If you're new to Calvary, you haven't been coming in a while, or maybe you've been coming, you've just never really met uh, some staff or whatever. We do that uh, on, on the same communion Sunday, communion Sunday is today also, so we'll be taking communion. Um, we're in Mark chapter 4, so if you would stand as we read, I'm going to just read a few verses. We're going to look at the, at the chapter itself, beginning of verse 21. Talking about coming out, he's in the, Jesus in, these, in this mode of parables. He's talking about these parables. And so in Mark chapter 4, beginning of verse 21. And he said to them, Jesus, is a lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. But for whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. So, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we ask in Jesus' name for your blessing over the things that you have in this for us this morning. We know that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Lord, the things that I prepared, please break them fresh. Feed us, Lord. We're hungry. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Bless this time in your word now in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. You can be seated. A wise woman who was traveling in the mountains found a precious stone in a stream. The next day she met another traveler who was hungry, and the wise woman opened her bag to share her food. The hungry traveler saw the precious stone and asked the woman to give it to him. She did so without hesitation. The traveler left, rejoicing in his good fortune. He knew the stone was worth enough to give him security for a lifetime. But a few days later... He came back to return the stone to the wise woman. I've been thinking, he said, I know how valuable the stone is, but I give it back in the hope that you can give me something even more precious. Give me what you have within you that enabled you to give me something more precious. Give me what you have within you that enabled you to give me the stone. What a great little picture, parable, story. And in, G in Matthew 4.33 says, with many such, such parables he spoke to them. G. Campbell Morgan said, quote, a parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. That is to say, some familiar thing of earth is placed alongside of some mysterious thing of heaven. That our understanding of the one may help us to un an understanding of the other. And we know as we looked last week. Why Jesus taught in the parables. His disciples asked him in verse 10 of chapter 4. But when he was alone, those around him with the 12, so more than just the 12, asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing, they may not see and perceive, and hearing, they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. In his, in his uh, commentary on the parables, G. Campbell Morgan then wrote this, quote, The parable is an aid, not a hindrance. 
It veils truth, not that men may not grasp it, but that it shall not escape them. Nowhere in the, is the infinite pity of the heart of God revealed in Jesus Christ more beautifully seen than in these parables. The people were half intoxicated and slumbering, willfully shutting their eyes. And he, Jesus, by the parabolic method, attempted to arouse them. Here then is the vision of the great teacher. Talking in parables, not in order that these men might not see, nor hear, nor feel. But in order to constrain them to a willingness to see and hear and feel. The parable is always the method of infinite love. Great, great commentary. So take heed what you hear. Last week we looked at hearing the word of God. Take heed what you hear. Three things if it helps you. A little outline. Take heed to receive Jesus. Goes without saying. Take heed to receive Jesus. Verses 21 and 20 through 25. Secondly, take heed. A harvest is coming. Can you say amen? A harvest is coming. Take heed. Verses 26 through 29. And then finally, take heed in becoming greater. So take heed to receive Jesus. He said to them, is a lamp, verse uh, 21, brought to be put under a basket or under a bed? Is it not to be set on a lampstand? Of course, it makes sense. For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. That light, Jesus, is the lamp. Jesus is the light. In John chapter 1, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, John the Baptist. This man came for a witness to bear witness to the light of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the word world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. They, wouldn't, they didn't want to see the light. Verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Take heed to receive Jesus, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Very, we've heard, many of us have heard these passages many times. In John chapter 8, Jesus spoke to them again saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness but have the light of life. That's the lamp. He came into the world, nothing was hidden. In John chapter 9, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. In John chapter 12, I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him. For I do, did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who, is, who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So Jesus is just simply saying, I'm the light. You need to look and see who I am. You need to believe in me. He is the prophesied king, the promised king who even from his birth to his death was declared that, was proclaimed that. When he was born, Gabriel came to Mary and said, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. We're talking about the kingdom of God. 
the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. In Matthew chapter 2, after he was born, when he's a very infant, after Jesus was born, wise men came from the east, came from Jerusalem, saying, where is he was born, what? King of the Jews. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus rode in Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, which is next Sunday. We're celebrating that. He rode in Jerusalem, and in quoting Zechariah 9.9, Matthew writes, tell, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on. He came in, in peace. He's coming again in judgment. He came on the donkey. He presented himself, a colt, colt the full of a donkey. When he stood before Pilate, Pilate said to him, are you a king then? And Jesus answered, you, have right, you say right that I am a king. For this purpose I, came into the, I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world. Jesus, he is the king of the kingdom that we're talking about in these parables. He will return to establish his kingdom on earth. In Daniel chapter 7, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom. That all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. I just want to load it on here. And by the way, don't try and keep up with me. If you want these, just, just uh, email me. I'll send you my notes. Revelation chapter 17. These will make war. This is interesting. With the lamb. The king is the lamb. And the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. He's coming again in glory. Revelation 19, now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was faithful, and was called faithful and true, capital F, capital T, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. Again, 19, we're continuing. And the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp two-edged sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. That is what's coming. So take heed to receive Jesus. That's really the key to everything. He is the key to everything. So he says, he said to them, verse 24, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has, to him more will be given, but whoever does not have, even what he has, will be taken away from him. Whoever has, but whoever does not have. It was given to the disciples to know the mysteries because of what they possessed. He gave them more. It was not given to others because of something they lacked. What was that? The essential difference, the disciples had received Jesus. They had received the king. The others had not, at least not yet. Even though they had heard the words and seen the works of Jesus, still they had not believed and received him as promised Messiah and king. 
The disciples had given their full allegiance to Jesus. So the question beginning this morning for, for anyone here, have you given your allegiance to Jesus Christ? Have you received him as the only means by which you can enter the kingdom of God? Is to bow in humble adoration before the king. King of kings and Lord of lords. The same measure you use, the disciples were applying what they were hearing. They saw and they believed and they bowed. They forsook all to follow him. Even what he has will be taken away from him. This, this is a, a, an important point here. You can have no entrance or insight into the kingdom of God with just some knowledge attained through a religious upbringing. That's not enough. These Jews had it, all of that saturated in the Old Testament, in the Bible scriptures, raised in a culture where God, Jehovah, was central to their nation. And yet that's not enough. Every Jewish person at this time had that. If they refuse Jesus, all their religious knowledge, fervor, and heritage would be lost because they rejected the one to whom it was all about. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have life, but you won't come to me that you may have life. Jesus said to them. They missed him completely. So the first thing, take heed in these parables to receive Jesus. Secondly, take heed, a harvest is coming. He said the kingdom of God as if a man, now this parable, as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself. First the blade, then the head. After that, the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens immediately, he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Again, expositional constancy. What a figure is used to represent something when it is, is always, it always prefigures the same. And that's important in these parables, particularly one that we're going to get to. He said to them, in verse 13, do you not understand this parable, the sower, how are we going to understand all the parables? So there's what's called expositional constancy. The seed represents the word of God. A man should scatter is a person who's speaking the word of God. And it's on the ground are people's hearts in this world who hear the word of God. So last week we looked at the parable of the sower. Hear the word of God. So he says, the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. There's a mystery to this thing. The earth yields crops by itself. These things are still mysteries to those who have dedicated their lives to study them. In botany and many other sciences. In this seed is the DNA that contains all the information needed to grow and mature. It's all in there. All that is needed for that seed to grow and become a bush is contained in the seed. All that is needed for that acorn to become an oak tree is in the seed. Just plant it. It's a miraculous mystery as to how that works. It's just like when we plant seeds, knowing we're planting them, and we fully believe they're going to come up. It's all there. All we do is put it in the ground and start watering it. The word of God 
is like a seed. How it works, we're not quite sure. But that it works, of that we need to be sure. We plant seeds knowing that they'll grow plants. We plant the word of God knowing that it will grow us in our, in our relationship, in knowing him, in understanding mysteries. Blessed, Psalm 1, blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates how often? Day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he does shall prosper. That's growth, that's maturity, that's health. Plant the word of God. Sow the word of God. Take heed what you hear in hearing the word of God. So just like we feed our physical body food, we're not able to explain what happens in the microscopic level of our bodies. But we take the food in because we know if we don't, we're dead. It's just the same with, I love that whole picture. It's just the same with the word of God. We take it in, as much as we take it in, something is happening there. We know not how or why or all that, but we take it in and it is our food. It is our spiritual food. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And somehow in this word, the seed is the power to cause us to grow and mature. We don't shrivel up and die spiritually. So it's the power of God for this new life of the spirit. Peter said, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God which lives and abides forever. How were you born again? The word of God. The spirit of God. Not only the power of God, it's the process that God takes us through in our spiritual growth. Through the word of God. All that is needed for you to grow spiritually is DNA'd in the Word of God. All the information necessary for you to grow and mature and become fruitful is DNA'd in the Word of God. Hebrews, the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to edged sword, piercing even division of soul and spirit. As discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we grow. Now, it also is in this whole thing of the seed. It's the purpose of God for his eternal glory. The harvest. When the grain ripens, all that growth, that life and that growth and that maturing is of God for his glory. My life becomes what glorifies God. Your life becomes what glorifies God. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's probably for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's a completing power in the word of God. Preparing us for a harvest. Immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So you have this process of growth and at some point... It's time to harvest. And the sickle goes in. There are two harvests. One, the harvest of the righteous. And two, the harvest of the wicked. The harvest is that gathering up or gathering in to a final destination. That's the harvest. 
In the book of Revelation, we find these two harvests. Number one, the harvest of the earth is ripe. Revelation chapter 14. Then I looked and behold, a white cloud and on the cloud sat one like the son of man, having on his head a golden crown and his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud, thrust in your sickle and reap for the time has come for you to reap. The harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth and the earth was reaped. This is the time has come for reaping. It is the time of deliverance. It's the time when God has said, come. Now, Revelation goes on to talk about this second harvest, which is the harvest of the vine of the earth, where grapes are fully ripe. So we read in verse, chapter 14, verse 17, Then another angel came out of the temple, which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire. And he cried with a loud voice to him who had the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the cluster of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the, sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth. And threw it, now notice, and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city. The blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. This is the day the Lord promised, prophesied in Joel who said, Put in the sickle for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down for the winepress is full. The vats overflow for their wickedness is great. God says it's over, it's done. Judgment has come. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. The time has come for the wrath of God. It's the time of vengeance, not deliverance, for many who have rejected him. Now, these two harvests are also found in the parable of the tares and wheat, which is not in Mark, which is found in Matthew. And I want to go through this just because of what I want to bring for the next uh, section of this text. In Matthew 13, another parable he put forth to them saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let us let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn to harvest. Then at the request of his disciples... Jesus explains the parable of the tares and wheat. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into his, the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. He answered and said to them. So he's given a full explanation. You want to know what he's saying here? It's right here. He who sows the good seed is the son of man, Jesus. The field is the world. Again, these are constancies, as you look at the figures in parables, these are what we can go back to. The field is the world, the good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. 
The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then, he, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Two gatherings, two of these harvests. So take heed to receive Jesus. Take heed, a harvest is coming. But this final one, take heed in becoming greater. This parable. He said to them, verse 30, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? With what parable shall we picture it? It is like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground is smaller than all the seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Note, the parable of the tares and wheat are fully explained. The parable of the soils, fully explained by Jesus. Not so with the parable of the mustard seed. And let me tell you from personal experience, this parable is a doozy. I've been wrestling with it over the last week. So as we consider this parable, I want to preface it with this observation. Some of the parables are not giving us a positive picture of the kingdom of God. So it would seem. The parable of the sower and the soils, only one in four actually produced fruit. One had no crop, no two of them. One had no, bore no fruit to maturity. In the parable of tares and wheat, right alongside the wheat are these tares that Satan sowed. And, and Jesus explains that, and God allows that to the end of the age. In the parable of the leaven, which is Luke chapter 13, again he said, To what shall I like in the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in the three measures of meal till it was all leavened. In the Bible, in the parables, leaven is always a picture of sin. So you look at these parables, and I say to change that symbolism is, I believe, to miss the point of the parable. The parable of the mustard seed has birds of the air nesting in its shade. Jesus already told us that birds are a symbol of Satan and sin, evil. So to change that symbolism is, I believe, to miss the point of the parable. These parables indicate that there will be partial and hidden success, but certainly not overwhelming and obvious victory. Does this mean that the kingdom of God will not be triumphantly successful? Perish the thought. It certainly will. Jesus certainly will. The, that, that age is, will certainly come. It, that grand finale will happen. But there's this age, this present age, present evil age. So I suggest that this partial and hidden success pertains to the present evil age that we're living in. And does not history sound that out? 
many things that were done in the name of Jesus and are being done under the banner of the kingdom, under the banner of in Jesus' name, under the banner of the church, or anything but righteous. In fact, many of it is, much of it has been hideously evil. So for me, to think of this present age as the kingdom age is confusing and somewhat depressing. But to learn these mysteries as they pertain to the history of the kingdom of God in this present age, not prior to Jesus' advent or following his second coming, to me, that's hopeful and instructive. There are the pictures of instruction for the now. For believers in the kingdom of God on earth today, that is you, that is me, and let me say this, that is messy. In Matthew chapter 13, the final parable in chapter, of 8 in chapter 13 of Matthew, Jesus said to them, how, how have you understand all these things? Told them these parables. Yes, Lord. Then he said to them, therefore, every scribe, another parable to close it, every scribe instructed concerning the kingdom of heaven is like a householder who brings out his treasure, things new and old. The parables do not tell the whole story. Doesn't tell us the depths necessary of the mysteries. These are ours to yet discover. But they draw us in discovering the treasures that are ours. These treasures we bring out as we steward our responsibilities as being in the kingdom of God in this present age. I'm thinking about doing a whole series on the parables because I've just been studying. Man, I'm telling you, it's rich. I think I've got to study another 20 years before I'll be able to teach on them. <laughs> so what lies, this, it, what lies be, beyond this present evil age is the greatest, most glorious age of the kingdom of God on earth for which Jesus said to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The world, I believe, has yet to see the kingdom of God on earth, except spiritually through our lives. But indeed and thankfully, they will, we will, God will. To quote Peter, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance, entrance, kingdom of God. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief. It's coming in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? This present age. Looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. And would you say, Amen. We look for these things. This is the coming kingdom age. Now, on a personal note, whatever our conclusion 
in interpreting these parables is by no means a deal breaker in our fellowship. For me, I believe in a spiritual fulfillment of the kingdom of God. The kingdom is within you. Jesus said that. I believe that. He's reigning in my life. I also believe in a literal fulfillment of the kingdom of God on earth. That Jesus will return and rule over the earth for a thousand years. Six times in Revelation chapter 20. thousand years. I believe in a literal fulfillment of that. Now some of you, with studied convictions that I respect... Do not believe in the literal. Now for me, this literal fulfillment will not be a surprise to me. But I'm telling you what, I'm going to enjoy standing beside you when, we, when it happens. I'm going to be rejoicing in your, wow, what a surprise. <laughs> Final one. Take heed in becoming greater. Now this is the parable. The parable of the mustard seed. He said, to what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or what, will a par what parable shall we picture? How are we going to look at this thing? It's like a mustard seed, which when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on earth. Now that's, that's uh, parabolic as me because these are the seeds they knew, but there are smaller seeds. But this one he's using as being familiar. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all herbs and shoots out large branches so the birds of the air may nest under its shade. Now I want to give you also Matthew and Luke because it adds a little bit of nuance to it. In Matthew, another parable he put forth to them saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. Which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. In Luke, then he said, what is the kingdom of God like and to what shall I compare it? It is like a mustard seed which a man took and put in his garden and it grew and became a large tree and the birds of the air nested in its branches. I believe that this parable is a warning. It's an admonition. It's a caution. To individualize it, what are you becoming? What are you growing up into? There are those who interpret this parable by pointing to the smallness of the mustard seed that becomes a large tree, like a great tree over all the herbs. And the lesson they, they believe is that the parable is the kingdom starts insignificantly and becomes great, which is true. As far as that truth. Here's my problem. And you can wrestle with me. A mustard seed does not naturally grow into a tree. To do so is an unnatural, abnormal growth. The mustard seed is an herb, not a tree. Problem, another problem. A tree in the Bible, expositional constancy, when used symbolically, is a picture of worldly kingdoms exercising worldly power to dominate over people. Pharaoh in Egypt, Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. So naturally, just by nature, the mustard seed is a picture of lowliness, meekness, unobtrusiveness. It denotes humility. 
And becoming a tree, it denotes pride, arrogance, and dominance. Another problem, to repeat, the birds symbolize Satan. To change that symbolism is, I believe, to miss the point of the parable. So what is this warning, this admonition, this caution? First of all, it's a picture of what will happen. Picture what's going on within God's present age and the kingdom. The church in this present age, as always, is to live in humble servants, service to the king. Who humbled himself that he might live among us and show us the heart of the kingdom. That's for us. It's not who is the greatest among us. Disciples have these arguments. It's not who's going to sit at the king's right hand and left hand. Again, the disciples argued who's the greatest, and they continue doing that. It's Nate, it's in us. When the church is desiring and attaining to worldly power and worldly riches, it's the opposite of the spirit of lowliness, meekness, and service. We can look at the Catholic Church as an example. Some would say that's what it's talking about. What's happened there? And the Pope that's in there now is hideously anti-Bible. When greatness is measured in external and material things, it is a false greatness. When greatness is measured by worldly power to dominate... That is a false greatness. And in those kinds of things, Satan hides and does his work. Listen. He who came to serve and not be served is the king of the kingdom. He who girded himself with a towel to serve is the king of the kingdom. He who has moved with compassion for the least and the lost is the king of the kingdom. He who died to give his life a ransom for all is the king of the kingdom. And this is the heart of the kingdom. This is the heart of the king. This is the heart of God. And his kingdom and how he grows it is mysterious. And how all that works is mysterious. But Jesus, unless a grain of wheat falls in the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it's going to produce much fruit. Jesus died in his, in his death. For our sin, he rose again to give us life. And now he's calling on us to be following his example. To be following what he did in how we live our lives in this present age. He died to give his life for all, a ransom for all. He died and then rose again and commanded disciples to love one another. To love your enemies. To lay down your lives for others. See, that's the kingdom, the heart of the kingdom. So I believe there's a warning, an admonition. G. Campbell Morton again writes, in our individual life and so far as possible in our church capacity, we ought to attempt to realize the purpose of the king. We ought to be ready to turn from the false greatness which he disowns to the true greatness which he recognizes. We shall be most loyal to the king 
and shall best give the world to see the infinite contrast between the material ideal of pomp, pageantry, and pride and the spiritual ideal of simplicity and sweetness and service. If I could have the worship team come up, we're going to take communion together. Close with this story. Once upon a time, a king had a great highway built for the people who lived in his kingdom. After it was completed, but before it was open to the public, the king decided to have a contest. He invited as many of his subjects as desired to participate. The challenge was to see who could travel the highway the best, and the winner was to receive a box of gold. On the day of the contest, all the people came. Some of them had fine chariots, some had fine clothing and fancy food to make the trip a luxurious journey. Some wore their sturdiest shoes and ran along the highway on their feet to show their skill. All day they traveled the highway and each one, when he arrived at the end, complained to the king about a large pile of rocks and debris that had been left almost blocking the road at one point and that got, and it got in their way and hindered their travel. At the end of the day, a lone traveler crossed the finish line, wearily and, wa wa wearily and walked over to the king. He was tired and dirty, but he addressed the king with great respect and handed him a small chest of gold. He said, I stopped along the way to clear a pile of rocks and debris that was blocking the road. This chest of gold was under it. Please have a return to its rightful owner. The king replied, you are the rightful owner. Oh, no, said the traveler, that's not mine. I never knew such money. Oh, yes, said the king. You've earned this gold, for you won the contest. He who travels the road best is he who makes the, ro makes the road better for those who will follow. What a great picture of what we're called to. So we're going to take communion. And in taking communion, we're remembering his death till he comes. This is the time just to close yourself in with the Lord and maybe an application of what we've just heard. Lord, grant to me. Break my heart for what breaks yours. Let me live my life as you lived yours. In humble obedience to our Father, to my Father. Lord, wash away my sin. Cleanse me from all these secret faults. And allow me, Lord, to grow up fruitful. To be planting that word in an obedient heart, whatever it might be for you as you take those emblems, just hold them and I'll take, we'll go through them together as we worship as they're passed out. We'll take them together.